this is Wes Gear, and you are listening to That Sober Guy Podcast. Yeah. That Sober Guy Podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Broadcasting from the West Coast of the Golden State, the nation's most straightforward recovery talk show, That Sober Guy Podcast, helping to keep your brain sharp and your blood clean. And now, Shane Raymer. What's up? We got a great show for you today. We're talking with Wes Gear. Uh, Wes founded and was the original guitar player, songwriter, and producer for the band Head PE, and also uh, went on to play guitar for the band Corn from 2010 to 2013. And uh, now he founded Rock to Recovery, which is a super, super dope organization that goes around to recovery centers uh, all over, and they share the gift of music uh, with, with recovering addicts. Uh, they also work with some of the military and the Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, they help troubled teens. All kinds of cool stuff. Wes is going to share some of that. We got a couple things to get to, but first, a word from our sponsor. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as a kick-ass entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.sobernation.com. Once again, that's sobernation.com. Check them out, folks. Also, go to thatsoberguy.com, click on the live meetings tab, and join the next Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time, live online recovery meeting. Come in, say hi, tell us what's up, join the community. There's no pressure. It's simply a platform for us to communicate on and talk about how we feel. Let's ask some questions, that kind of shit. It's great. Check it out, livemeetings.soberguy.com. Also, the best way you can support the show is by going on iTunes and leaving us a rating or review on there. It helps rank the show, which in turn helps more people find That Sober Guy podcast. You can also go to thatsoberguy.com and click the Donate tab if you'd like to drop a couple bucks on the operation. All funds donated go back into the show and help to bring you the best and most quality information and recovery content. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook slash That Sober Guy Podcast and on Twitter at 5 That Sober Guy. Check us out on there as well. And now let's get to the interview. Here's Wes Gear. All right, today we're talking with founder and CEO of Rock to Recovery, Wes Gear. Rock to Recovery is a nonprofit that allows recovering addicts, veterans, victims of abuse, and troubled teens the opportunity to express themselves through the gift of music. Wes is also the co-founder, former guitar player, songwriter, and producer for the band Head P.E., and also played guitar for the band Korn from 2010 to 2013. Wes, what's up, man? How are you today? What's up? I am good. Yeah. Good, man. Nice, man. So I wasn't, you know, I've still been throwing this, throwing this around in my head up until just the last couple of minutes here, if I was going to read this to you or not, but it's, it's so cool. I think I have to do this, man. So I had a buddy of mine, do it. I, I'm, I'm going for it, man. My, uh, Go buddy of my, <laughs> buddy of mine, Ray, 
Ray Penny, right? We've known each other since we were in first grade. And uh, he actually he actually took me to my first Papa Roach show out here in Vacaville, right? I think I was 15. And, and he goes, man, he goes, you got to loosen up a little bit. And I'm, I'm seeing all these kids jumping around and stuff. And and they're going crazy and they're letting loose. And he's like, dude, you just got to just gotta roll with it, man. You just got to get into it. So I did that, man. And it, it just, it kind of took over. From there, we discovered head PE. And so I told him you were coming on the show a couple of days ago. And he sends me this text and it says, head PE 1997 album. Remember cruising with Rebecca, Justin, and Justin to a sophomore dance, bumping that shit in my parents' car. He said, I just went on a 20-minute yeah. head PE binge, having to lis- having listened to that CD forever, man. And I'm cracking up because I started thinking back, and I brought some of it up on, on Spotify today. Listened to a couple tracks that, uh, is it Ken 2012 or 2012 Ken? Uh, something like that. But yeah, yeah. dude, that's, that's good stuff, yeah. man. That's, that's cool stuff. That was the original album, huh? Or second. I think that was yeah, the second yeah, album. Yeah, that, huh? that was the uh, Ken was on the first uh, album that we did with a record label. We released Got something uh, before that that was just like an indie release, self-produced down here in Orange County. Yeah, but Ken 2012 was on our first record label when we were on Jive Records. <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool, man. That's good stuff. I just had to share. I had to share that with you, man, and give a shout out to my homie Ray out there. I know he listens to the show too. So, um, anyways, man. Yeah, so it's cool, man because you know bands you make music and you're trying to worry about you know making money and surviving and getting shows and you're always you know always chasing the next meal or whatever you know the next it's good to hear when you hear stories that like because you forget that's why you do music you guys listen to our music on the way to like uh what was it some sort of dance or something yeah uh that's cool that's rad man that's uh, i'm stoked you share that stuff because when you're a musician you kind of forget that those are that our band and our music could be part of something cool in your life. That's cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I'm sure you know this too. You have your favorite bands and, and, and favorite uh, music that you like to listen to. Music is such a, a beautiful thing because it literally can take you back to a place in time that you were. It's almost like a time warp. So when there's certain songs that come on, uh, even from when I was a kid, you know, stuff my parents used to listen to, like I can literally for a split second, you feel that feeling in your gut and it takes you back to that place. And uh, I have a lot of memories like that. And I think, I think a lot of us do out there. So uh, that's part of the cool thing about rock to recovery, uh, which is something we're going to get to here shortly. Um, I just kind of wanted to to start it off like this, man. Uh, you you've been through a journey, uh, like many of us. Um, some some peaks and valleys, definitely. What is life like today for you, Wes? Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I my life is amazing. I never thought it could be this amazing, and it just continues to get better um, because uh, you know I. I think what happens for a lot of people who have problems with drugs or drinking or all of it is um, they think that that's the problem. And really for me, that's how I dealt with the problem, which Mm -hmm. really was me, how I feel with my life and the traumas and all the stuff I went through. I had a problem dealing with that. So I dealt with it with getting loaded. So I stopped getting loaded and I got to get down to the root of the issue and fix me. Um, so I got rid of the booze, got rid of the drugs and I fixed me. And, and the more I work on fixing me, the better I get. And the more I've been able to unlock my true potential. And I think all of our true potential is much more than we ever realized it was, you know, humans often love to doubt 
um, how far, just how far they can go. But when you're constantly just trying to make yourself better and also trying to do things for the right reason, not just trying to do it for the money or do it for the chicks, but do it because you want to be a good person and give back on the, you know, give back to humanity and society. And then, then it's weird. It's like you get in the vortex of the universe and, and the magical things start to happen that, that are the only way you can ex- describe them is miraculous, you know? And that's, that's where I'm at right now in the vortex of miracles. As funny as that may sound, that's where it's at. No, man, that's, that's real. And I, I, yeah, I understand. And, uh, one of the things you said, um, I love that you brought up the fact that, you know, booze, alcohol, drugs, um, for many of us, especially early on in our recovery, we put everything on that. Oh, it's, it's all we, we blame even from the beginning, you know, at least I know I did for myself. And as time, as time went on for me, I kind of figured that same thing out that you were just talking about is the fact that, this is a a direct reflection of myself and me not being able to deal with life and me not having the right tools, you know, growing up, whether it's as a kid or as an, an adult, um, you know, my tools were booze and drugs. That's all, that's all I knew. So once I figured out and I kind of was able to let that go and start working on self, I think that's when, like you were saying, the real miracle, the real change, um, the real beauty of this life and what, what we have to offer as people is really recognized. Exactly, man. And you know, here's here's something I heard a long time ago. If you have a drinking or a drug problem, you'll quit and your problems will be gone. It should be easy. Hey, I drink too much, I quit, life's amazing. But see, for most people, they want to quit drinking, they want to quit doing dope, and they stop for a minute and they can't, they go back. That means that you don't have a problem doing drugs, you have a problem living sober. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's how you can, that's that's how you could probably tell if you have a problem. Otherwise, you just quit and walk away. But if you keep going back, that means that means the problem is how you feel when you live your life sober, and that's when we got to get down to changing that. Yeah, man. I no, I I hundred percent agree. And uh, you know, to backtrack a little bit, one of the things I was saying, like all of us, you know, we all have our journey. Uh, you've had a journey too. There's been, like I said, some peaks and valleys of it. Um, can you take us back to kind of how, uh, I know from what I know, actually, you've been playing guitar for a long time, I believe since you were a kid. Um, but can you take us back to kind of how head PE started and, uh, some of the years that followed that and then what ultimately led you to, to leaving on a path to, to changing your life and, uh, living the life of recovery? Well, there was a bunch of bands in LA. The LA scene was dying like the late eighties, you know, it wasn't happening. The Seattle thing happened and all that stuff was going on mm-hmm. with the Nirvanas and the sound garden and stuff. And so, uh, there's a few of us bands that could sell clubs up there. Uh, I wasn't stoked on my band. I saw Jared play with his band. I thought, wow, that's a singer I'd love to work with. He's a very powerful guy, like just intense. Um, you know, but both our bands were pretty much whack at the time. So it was like, hey, I wanted to, you know, court him and, and start working with him. So he and I started getting together. Um, you know, since I left the band, they love to say that Jared formed Head PE. But the reality is it was he and I, we masterminded it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, um, you know, when we started bringing in members from our other bands, once we were kind of figuring it out, um, I had the idea to do it something different i wanted to get a dj in the band and at the time deftones wasn't touring with a dj lincoln park did not exist 
uh, you know, Slipknot did not <laughs> exist, not to my knowledge. Nobody was doing it other than the BC Boys, but they weren't really a rock band, you know. So yeah, yeah. We got a DJ in the band, and that was like we're probably rocking around '95 or something, give or take a year. Um, when that, and then so I had moved to Huntington Beach. I had always lived in Orange County. It's you know, beach town south of LA, about 30 miles, and uh, I kind of somehow got lucky or intuition, but I was like, hey man, screw LA, you guys, let's come down here and play by the beach. I could feel a real something going on down here. Snowboarding was booming at the time. It was it was pretty new. Skateboarding was making a total comeback. Same with surfing, and all the, the those companies were down here. Um, there was a cool thing going on where they would have like one band play and then a DJ spinning like disco. And so all the, you know, surf skater kids would come and they, you know, you know, get in the pit for a while and then nice. everybody dance. It was this cool combo. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So head was, you know, we would listen to stuff like Cypress Hill and rage against the machine and the beastie boys and, you know, old, the older hip hop, the NWA that, you know, Snoop Dogg was just coming out all that kind of stuff. And when we love, you know, I love punk rock stuff and Metallica and all that. And we just decided, you know, Jared and I actually went to a concert and I OD'd on mushrooms at this concert. It was Rage, (laughs) The Beasties, and Cypress. But we knew once we were at that concert what we wanted to do. We wanted to be heavy like a Rage. We wanted to have hip-hop like Cypress and have the funk like a BC Boys and combine it all together so you could dance or pit at our shows. And, you know, Corn was playing local clubs and we would see them. And so certainly they were an influence, though. We worked hard to uh, not let that become too much of influence. And so, um, you know, I talked Jared into rapping at the time. He didn't want to rap, but I was like working on the song with him. I was like, you know, I don't know. I kind of felt like a rap was going to go on the song. And then that's how it happened. You know, we just we started just combining all the things we loved into into uh, into our sound. And, uh, you know, we had all been chasing the making it concept for a long time and we're damn near giving it up. And once Head started, we started selling out local clubs and the labels were flying out to see us. And then we got a record deal and then the rest is history. I can't remember. I, I should have brought the quote up. Shit, I didn't bring it up. But there was there was something um, I can't remember if it was you or Jared that had, that had said it, but it, it was something about. Um, you have this fantasy almost of the record business, you know, the music business. Um, and, and then like, once you get in the, in the heart of it and you kind of get going into it and you realize the hard work that it is and, um, you know, it's not all the, the, the glam and, you know, all the stuff that we see on TV so much, it's, it's actually hard, hard work. And it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a, a lot of time away from, from other things too, whether it be family or friends or whatever. Um, what was that like? Like once you get into that, like you, you've dreamed for this, like you were saying, you, you know, we want to make it in quotes or whatever. And then you get in there. Um, what happens on that roller coaster that is finally just like, you know what, like I gotta, I gotta make a change here. Like, this is just, this is not going, going the way that I expected it to. Well, you know, if you're, for most guys, if you're going to be in a band and get a record deal, you're already dedicated. People ask me like, Hey dude, uh, what made you want to do that? And it's like, I didn't have a choice. I, I was something in my soul is like, I'm going to make records and I'm not stopping until it happens. Um, you know, we had other guys in our band early on. They were like, maybe going to quit. And we're like, whatever, we're doing this thing. And, <laughs> and, you know, we were relentless. Uh, but what happens is, you know, you're just naive and you're young, man. And th- that's the crazy thing. You have this incredible career. But, you know, 
people in their early 20s are kids, man. You don't think so because you're like, oh, I'm out of high school. I am a man. It's like, nah, mm-hmm. you don't know shit. Yeah. And so you get the record deal and we're like, yeah, we got a record deal. It's going to go platinum. And when you go platinum, you make lots of money and then you make and we're going to buy a house. And then you realize, oh, oh, you mean if you open for corn on an arena tour, you can still be broke? What? <laughs> you know, when you're young, you think if you're playing on a stage in an arena, you're, you know, loaded. It does not go that way. Like, so what happened is we toured and we grinded for a long time and we had a great time, but we were for a year and a half in an RV with uh, six guys in the band and, you know, three crew, you know, I'm sleeping on the floor some nights drunk and there's piss and shit everywhere. And you're on the odds fest and all you do is you get a case of water and you're trying to, you know, and you get a check, you get a check for 10 grand, but then you got to make that last six months. It's tough, man. So you start realizing like none of this is guaranteed. Then you get a check. All right, we did a merch deal. Fuck yeah, things are going good. You get a hundred grand, you get a break off the manager, split it up between six guys. You're like, okay, I got eighteen grand. I feel like I'm rad, but actually, who knows when my next check's coming? So, you know what I tell people? I used to, you know, do these classes, and and kids would ask questions about making it. I go, so if you made five million bucks with your band, would you be stoked? Oh hell yeah! Well, once you break off the management and the tax man and split up between your bandmates, you got a couple hundred G's. And if you don't make any more money after that and you have to span that out of over your lifetime, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to spend 60 grand a year? Well, that's like how much a guy who manages a McDonald's makes. It's like not impressive money. So then you're like, well, what, you think you're going to make $5 million year after year? Well, that kind of makes you like U2 or like a corn or something. And there's yeah. very few bands that do that. So you got to do it for the love and for the art because the struggle is real, man. It's just how it is. And then since then, Head started when people sold records. But the funny thing is, Head's record sold more. I mean, maybe not now, but when I was with Corn, they put out Corn 3, and that record didn't even sell as much as one of our old records because records just don't sell anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like times have changed. People don't write, buy records. They dink and dunk and pick songs off and get it online or listen on Spotify where nobody's making money. So it's just hard, you know? It's hard to turn art into money people don't want to pay for it if you're not drawing a lot of people on uh on a tour then these days it's hard to make money you got to do it in merch and on touring and stuff so um that that's the reality of it but you know after touring with head for eight years me and the singer just had some you know major drama we couldn't get over it wasn't fun anymore it was actually a living nightmare i was broke and i was drinking constantly and i had been doing that for a long time and i just knew Something had to give, you know, something had to change. I'm going to kill myself out here. Plus, I'm going broke. At least if I'm going to kill myself, get loaded, maybe I could be rich doing it. But I was broke and killing myself. And Jared and I really weren't even talking. It's like we were at a good level, too. We were opening up for Godsmack. We were on a good tour. Um, We were still climbing up. But uh, I just I couldn't do it anymore, man. I finally just I just gave in and I quit. And that that band was my baby. I'm not saying, you know, it wasn't the other guys too, but I mean, I worked hard on that band, the name, the logo, to help design our sound, to have influence on every element that we did. So it was hard to leave that, you know? And then uh, when I left, I didn't realize how much I identified with myself and being a musician. So when I had to come back out of orbit down to normal earth and get a normal job, I was depressed. And then I just started doing even more drugs, but I didn't know that I was depressed. I just, you know, was in it you know, yeah. spinning out of control. 
Yeah, it almost takes on a life of its own at some point, you know. Well, that's the thing, you know, with addiction, what we learn is, is that, you know, people aren't, they don't look at their life and go, my life is on a scale of one to 10, it's this. And they don't see it for what it is. They don't see all the lies and the bullshit and how it's running their life that you live in this state. We always hear the word denial. You're in the state of delusionment. Your life seems normal. You know what? I only do heroin a few times a week. What's the big deal? Like all of a sudden your brain's spewing out, like you're doing whack stuff. You're hurting yourself so bad and you're making excuses why it's not a big deal. So when you're in that spot, you really don't see it for what it is. And my experience, you know, I'm coming up on eight years, uh, totally sober and, Year after year, you just more see how sick you are, you know, and when you get sober, you'll like maybe your first month or two, you're like, oh my God, I was such a tripper. And it's like, well, then you get a year and realize in your first month or two, you are a tripper. Then you get two years and you realize when you had a year, you were tripping because <laughs> yeah. it's a constant evolution. It takes a long time to really see things for how they were. And then you're trying to grow the whole time. You know, that's really the gift of, uh, sobriety is is the growth and the people who grow stay and they get really happy and the people don't are miserable and they get loaded again yeah and i I like what you said too earlier about uh about doing things for the right motives now you know like what like before um maybe some of the some of the things that that i used to do uh i may have thought they were artistic or they were creative or they were fun at the time but the motives were all wrong you know, and so now when I'm able to put those things in a different light and, and learn about myself and then do them uh, for the right reasons, whether it's um, to create something to give to other people, that's kind of what you were alluding to with Rock to Recovery. Um, and I think part of that comes with a spiritual awakening. So I know that you went to um, that you went to rehab at some point uh, after head, after you left head. And then um, can you talk about, or, or do you remember, or do you have something in particular that was kind of your spiritual awakening where you were just like, you know, holy shit, like th- this is it, like I'm, I'm done? Well, I was working with my brother, having a day job, and I, I went backwards. I had kind of cut out the drugs and just drank, but I went backwards. I went back into meth and heroin, and I was living this lie, trying to hide it like we do. And finally, I had to just give in and tell my brother all the things I was doing, you know, and he's like, oh, well, that's why you look like shit and miss work all the time. And (laughs) so I thought I could kick it on my own because I had done it before. I had quit the drugs before. And he's, you know, being a normal guy, he's like, yeah, sure, drink. I don't care. Smoke weed, but just stay away from that really gnarly stuff. The problem is when I get loaded on anything, I can't keep it in control. So that ended me up like I was like, "Okay, bro, I'll stay off the hard stuff. But then I kept going back, even though I didn't want to, and I couldn't figure it out. I'd have like a Corona, and then next thing you know, I'd be at the dealer's house going, dang it, why I promised him I wouldn't use, and now we got to tell mom. And So what happened, I just started crying in my bed. I realized it hit me like I'm out of control. I do not have control. And then so the deal was uh, if I couldn't control it, I'd go to rehab. And then when I went – so that was my moment of clarity that I was out of control, um, period. Um, even if I had a couple of days where I was kind of mellow, it always got bad again. And then, so I went into treatment and that's when they taught me about it. The powerlessness is like when I pick up and I'm loaded, I don't have the power to start and stop when I want. I just don't. Some people do. A guy like me does not. So my only hope is to not pick up the first drink or the first hit of weed or whatever. So, but how do you do that? I couldn't do it before. And that's where for me, I got into a process. I, I'm a guy who did the 12 steps. Uh, 
and that that worked for me. That kept me. That gave me a spiritual awakening. Awakening. It helped me get out all that drama from my past and unload it. Right. I cleaned house spiritually, and somebody enlightened me as to why I was doing the things I was doing, and I had the knowledge, and then I had a design for living that I could do every day. Because what we know about addiction is you don't cure it. You know, it's going to be there forever. So that's called a chronic disease, right? An acute disease, you have it and it goes away. It's chronic. So I have to manage it by working on myself all the time. And that's why you hear people like, oh, the guy had five years and he got loaded. Well, that's because they stopped working on on the disease aspect. And and so, you know, and I did the same thing. I had going on three years sober, but I I got engaged and stopped doing my deal and I got loaded again because my brain's like, yeah, you can drink beer. It'll be cool. (laughs) And it wasn't cool. Yeah. Beer wasn't your problem. I was like, yeah, it wasn't. And it's like, no, same thing happened. So I went insane again, right? The insanity returned. So now I just, it's like anything, right? If you're an athlete, you go to the gym all the time. You don't get buff and play in a football team and never work out again. If you want to be in the football team, you're working out all the time. Well, I want to be sober all the time. I work on myself all the time, you know? And the beauty of it is now I help other guys. Uh, get sober and even girls if I know that need support you know you just be a nice person and let them know they're not alone and that there's a way out and you you share your experience strength and hope and that that helps me stay sober so it's a pretty rad deal I don't have to be ashamed of what I did anymore because now all that gnarly shit I did I can share with somebody else and they go oh me too I'm not alone and then my my horrible stories are help, help me connect to other people and then together we stay sober. And when you watch somebody with less time than you go from, you know, looking like they're barely alive and miserable to having an amazing life and blossoming, there's no better reward than that, you know? Yeah, yeah, part part of the giving back. And I, I, I almost feel like there's like this there's like this this new like revolution of um you know of recovery going on right now. And obviously, you know, the 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 big support groups, you know, those are they can never be replaced. I mean, that's the foundation to me of recovery. But I feel like with a lot of the the younger generation too, they're looking for different avenues. Obviously, technology's evolved; it's it's changed a lot of things, um, not just with recovery, but with the world, right? So, if we kind of apply that, there's and I always I, I was just talking about this recently in a meeting. I always respect the anonymity. I always respect other people's anonymity. That's a big part of, um, you know, of the programs and of recovery. Uh, when it, you know, when it came to me, I just felt like I wanted to speak out about it. Um, I'm proud to be an alcoholic. I'm, I'm proud to, I'm proud to say that today because really it's a part of who I am. Um, do you feel like there's this, there's this almost changing, like I said, almost revolution of, of kind of a new style of recovery, a new openness about it that's coming out and, and starting to change uh, more people's lives? Yeah, I think it's just awareness. If you go back to like, who are the first rock stars like Elvis and the Beatles, or you could argue maybe somebody else, you know, at the, that time, drugs are fully experimental. But now we have enough data and enough lifetime to watch people OD and go crazy on drugs, yeah, like your yeah. Hendrixes and your Joplas and all that. So then it's like, what? Oh, drugs could kill you. Maybe they're bad. And then it goes on and on. And you and, yeah. and people, instead of hiding the alcoholic in the home, like, don't talk about dad's drinking problem. Now it's like, hey. And I remember when I was young, it was like, go to Chick Chanel. There's a way out. And, you know, and so the awareness keeps growing. And now it's like addiction's a real thing. 
you don't have to be a 60-year-old whiskey drinker, drinker to be an addict. You don't have to be a junkie in a park. It hits all walks of life, you know, doctors, moms, and there's a way out. So there's a super heightened awareness about addiction, alcoholism, and all that stuff. So, yeah, yep. um, you know, not everybody's an alcoholic who drinks. Uh, you know, some people just have, I had a relative who had a bad problem with cocaine and then one day he quit and he's fine. That, and he's the raddest dude ever. Yeah. That ain't my case. So, you know, it depends. The sad thing is you got to figure out what's going to work for you. But the problem is along the way, people die before they figure out the right path. For me, like I said, I tried it a million times my way trying to change. It did not work. And so the 12 step programs uh gave me a design for a living that keeps me sober um so you know in those programs they have traditions because they want to keep it intact they don't want people going hey i'm in cocaine anonymous and i'm cocaine anonymous and i'm great and <laughs> yeah. i'm the president now and then the guy gets loaded and snorts coke and then everybody's like well cocaine anonymous sucks so we try to <laughs> keep anonymity out of respect for the program because you don't want to go tooting the horn and then we're human and fallible. And then all of a sudden all that backlash comes on the program. So we try to keep anonymity for as one of the traditions for that way. And also so people have a safe place to come because there's a lot of judgment against addiction and all that. Um, so a lot of it's to safeguard uh, the programs. But there definitely is more awareness now. People definitely talk about it now. That's why I chose this path. I could easily be anonymous and nobody knows, but I want to try to toggle the line of respecting the traditions of the rooms of all the 12-step programs, but also say, hey, this is what I had to do to save my life and change as a person because uh, I think I can help people, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, thanks, man, too, for pointing that out, the anonymity, um, you know, with respect to the program because I think maybe – I think maybe that's something I, I even overlooked. And just hearing you say that, kind of a light bulb goes off like, yeah, because I don't know why I've always just affiliated it with the person, you know, the person not wanting to be seen in their community or being ashamed of the fact that they have a problem or something along those lines. But when you put it in that perspective, too, as far as, um, you know, just respecting the program itself, that really makes sense to me. So thanks for pointing that that out. Um, what, yeah, the tradition. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly, exactly. And um Wes, you played guitar for Corn from uh, 2010 to 2013. Um, you know, to my knowledge, Corn didn't come to you and say, "Hey, Wes, come play guitar for us." Right. So this is after you're already on your path to recovery. Can you talk a little bit about the determination, um, some of the the patience, some of the things that you would learn through your recovery that ultimately led led you to to getting the job? Um, you know, uh, touring with Corn. Well. Uh, my brain said that I would probably never do music again. It didn't go with sobriety, da, 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 da. Yeah. but then I just kept staying sober. And part of being sober is like, you know, prayer and meditation. And, um, I don't consider myself religious, but you're, you know, I'm trying to find that gut intuition. Which direction am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? I was doing awe meditations and you know, where I'm actually asking the universe to guide me. Cause I was desperate, man. I didn't have a career. I didn't yeah. know which way to go. Um, and then finally I, in my meditation, I was kind of like, Hey, I think I want to get back in the music. I started putting that out there. And then within like 10 days, uh, corn hit me up. Hey, you want to come play with us? Um, and, and it's because they were into the concept of having a guy who didn't party in the band. So, Got it. you know, I always share this in my circles of recovery, like where my brain, cause the addicts have a, have a problem with 
seeing things for what they truly are. My brain said, you can't do music anymore and tour if you're sober. Bullshit, man. Huh. The universe said, no, you're, you're a musical dude. If you get sober, of course, you're going to thrive in music more than ever. And I got the best gig of my life because I was sober. Uh, so that was cool, man. And, and it really, like when I got the official word that I was in, I started crying because, you know, I scraped, like we talked about, the struggle, trying yeah, to make it the whole yeah. time. I left, I left head. It felt like it was my baby, and I had to walk away from it. And I kind of felt like I got ripped off, even though it was my own doing. But so to get back and finally make it, make it, and get that gig, because it took a while once for the, until that was uh, actually officially the gig I had. Uh, I felt like, man, look at, thank you, God, thank you, universe, whatever you want to call it, like all this struggling, and now I've been sober. It was my second time at two and a half years sober uh, that it came to be. And so I was just like, oh, it was the most beautiful thing ever, you know. To, and I've always had such, I mean, Corn is a, are you kidding me? Those guys, such amazing, legendary band, oh, yeah. groundbreaking. Just, they did, they, they just, uh, they're a very, very, very special band. So it was cool. And it's probably, probably one of the only bands that I really could fit in with my style playing, you know. I'm just not a, I'm not a kind of guy who, plays a bunch of cover songs and stuff yeah. that fit my style really well. Um, so yeah, so the miracle recovery habit, I always share this. So when I was getting sober and I felt hopeless, I heard I was in a meeting and somebody, a lady shared I was a prostitute shooting dope in a park, turning tricks. I did the 12 steps, went back to school, met the man of my dreams. I have a loving family now and I run a law firm. And I was like, what the wow. fuck? So... Um, <laughs> So I, those are the stories that gave me hope. You're like, oh, okay, if I do that, my life gets amazing. I heard so many stories like that. So I was like, fine. You say I do this and my life's going to get amazing. I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. And that's what I did. And then I get to tour around the world totally sober. I had no desire to drink or use. Because, I, I mean, the only reason I was there is because I was sober. So I wasn't going to take a chance and mess that up. And then the cool thing is I went to meetings all around the world. And I had this network of people who would support me. Oh, yeah, you know, fresh. so uh, beautiful experience. And I got to go back and play shows that I didn't remember because I was so loaded. And I got to play them again sober, you know. And yeah. That was a challenge, too, because I always relied on drinking to deal with my stage fright and whatever. But, uh, you know, again, get rid of the booze and the drugs and then you start bettering yourself as a person. So I got to address stage fright head on you know, sober and organically. So I got to learn a way to handle it better than to have to suck on a bottle of Jägermeister. Yeah. I saw corn. I, I want to say it was, I don't know, maybe 2000, somewhere around there down in Bakersfield at a show down there. We drove down there, dude, my fucking head. It literally rang for like four days afterwards. Like I remember going to bed that <laughs> night, just being like, dude, my, like my ears and my head was just, it was still throbbing. It just throbbed for days afterwards, man. One of the coolest shows I've been to though, man, just super loud, super energetic, uh, definitely a good time. So that's gotta be cool for you to, to sit there in front of, you know, how many, what, 80,000 people? Is that a pretty good estimate on some of the big festivals or something like that? Yeah, 80, probably push 100 sometimes. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's surreal. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever been on a mountaintop and then you look out and you can see forever, you're like, okay, I know I'm looking 100 miles away from here, but you just can't realize yeah, just yeah. how big it is what you're looking at. That's kind of like how the crowd is. You know, I kept trying to tell myself, dude, you're playing with corn right now, and there's 100,000 crazy motherfuckers out there. Um, but you just it's just beyond, 
you know, it's beyond understanding. You know, I think yeah. there's a lot of stuff in life. Like I don't have kids, but I, I suppose when you have your first child, when you're staring at it, you probably have that same, like, what is this real? I think there's a lot of those moments. The most beautiful moments in life, I think are beyond our comprehension, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Wes, let's bring this thing full circle, man. Um, rock to recovery. It helps veterans. It helps, uh, recovering addicts. It helps people, um, helps teenagers too. I know it, it, it's a, it's a great organization. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, where people could find more information about it. We have two arms of business. Yeah. We have a for-profit and a nonprofit it started just as a nonprofit. Uh, you know, well, basically what it was is when I was in the rehab and I, my dreams were crushed and I felt like a you know, piece of crap. And I was so depressed and I'm hanging out with all these people. I don't know, talking about my feelings. My guitar really helped me escape. You know, I had, I used to always run to drugs or women or something to change the way I feel. And I really noted how much music helped me change the way I felt in treatment. Um, and there wasn't music in treatment when I was there. So the idea of rock recovery was like, well, I want to endeavor to get music in a treatment because everybody will tell you, I love music. It helps me feel better. And da 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 da. But then if you go deeper into it scientifically, when people play music, they actually, it engages the left and right side of their brain. When we get them singing, it releases oxytocin, which is the love molecule. And most addicts and alcoholics are depressed and lonely and they, they feel separate. So it lets us check out and really also at the same time connect music. And, you know, we, we, what we do in Rock Recovery is we write and record songs. And I show people who are all my guys, there's six of us now that do it. What we do is we'll show people how to play the simplest thing because, you know, humans didn't just make a guitar and shred like Jimi Hendrix. When music started for humans, it was probably banging on logs and grunting and groaning. So the point is, if we're like two years old and somebody put on music, we dance around. But at some point we're like, oh, that's embarrassing. People will think we're lame. I'm not good. <laughs> and we stop creating. Yeah, yeah. So what we try to get them to do is creating regardless of how um, much experience they've had with music or not. And by the end, we have a song and we're singing and playing, getting some emotions out. Um, and that's what we do in Rock Recovery. So um, I started out thinking it would be a nonprofit uh, you know, cause I always thought, well, nonprofit, that's cool. Let's help people. But what we found is there's such a, uh, calling for it that we now work with like, I don't know, 37 different treatment programs and rehabs and stuff. Wow. it's awesome. And so we, we do. Yeah. It's so awesome. We, we become a part of the treatment curriculum when you're in the rehab all day, they have you doing like this group and that group and this group. And one of the groups is rock recovery. And we use that income to help fund the nonprofit. And what we do with the nonprofit is we put rock recovery, we, we donate it to people who can't afford it, like uh, state-funded places or other nonprofits, and we can give them free rock recovery sessions. Um, and yeah, we work with places like NC Lifeline, which is for at-risk youth and teenagers. We work with the Wounded Warrior, um, U.S. Air Force through the Department of Defense, and uh, we work with like Claire Foundation and um, Conscious Recovery. Um, up in Santa Monica, they're state funded and could never afford a program like ours. So we get to donate it and give it to them. So it's a beautiful thing how it's just like, you know, um, just the whole machine works and we're just taking music everywhere. And, uh, I started it in 2013, brought on, I was like, Hey, I wonder if I could show other people how to do this. Brought on a couple dudes, uh, Sonny Mayo and Nate Lawler who helped 
with their style and heart and uh, you know creative nature they brought in some extra special elements to it and we made it an even better program and now we have uh six guys that do it total um looking to hire more uh we do about 250 sessions a month from uh you know basically san diego to malibu so it's working and it's growing and uh you know we you asked the the website is uh rock to recovery.org it's um rock to uh, rock2torecovery.org O-R-G and that's our website we have a Facebook page we got uh, Twitter and all that stuff we're going to be working on doing our first fundraiser and awareness you know we're blessed enough that we've had enough uh, business on the to fund ourselves you know um, but now and we've so we haven't really like waved our arm like hey you know help us but now we, we realize it's working and we want to really expand our reach so sometime in 2016 we'll be having a fundraiser and awareness event in la and have some rock star friends come and raise some money so we can continue to take music out to the people because what happens then is music acts like a drug for addicts yeah. and alcoholics or people struggling or or the soldiers with ptsd we get them singing and playing and and uh it's weird how it works man you could go i've so many stories of going from depressed and dope sick and all that. And then you get done playing some music and you're like, damn, I feel good. And, uh, <laughs> after every session I, I asked him, I did two sessions a day. I say, who feels better than when they walked in and everybody shoots their hand in the air. I do. I do. So, um, you know, we're trying to bring light, light into dark situations, you know, that's, that's so awesome, man. And I, I'm sure that like you were saying, you, you've just, you've had some great experiences with different, different people that you've met, along the way. And, um, you know, I don't know if you, if you keep in contact with any of these people, something just popped in my head at the tail end of that is, man, you should write a book about this kind of stuff, man. Some of the experiences that have went on and, and share some of these people's stories. Um, like you said, music is an emotional thing. It does act like a drug and it, it will bring something out, bring the kid in you out again. And, and, uh, yep. you know, we, we do, we stop, we stop creating at a certain point because whether it, it's fear from what other people think, or we're just too busy with our adult life or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, man, that's just, that's so awesome, man. And thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your story today and, uh, coming on talking about rock to recovery. Uh, thanks man. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, I appreciate you taking an interest in supporting, uh, the endeavor. Um, I'm just, you know, you, you kind of learn in life that when you're out for yourself, it just doesn't go well. And the greatest joy is that we're all here to help each other, man. We we help each other have the most amazing life. That's that's the most rewarding, fulfilling life there is. So that's like what, you know, you're thinking me, I'm thinking you. See, that's how it works. That's the beauty <laughs> of it all. Yeah, that's, that's right, my man. That's right. All right, Wes. Well, hey, man. Uh, yeah. th thank you so much, brother. My my pleasure, and uh, to everybody out there, if you're having a, a tough day, man, just know there is a way out. You can you can do this. There's always there's always a way to recover, man. Never give up. This has been another episode of that Sober Guy podcast. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. Contact Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. And leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.